This week on Geek Explained, it's been three weeks. Are you over Avengers Endgame yet? No? Good, me neither. That's why we're setting off the original six Avengers the right way, by celebrating some of the greatest stories ever told about the heroes who paved the way for the MCU. Whatever it takes. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is our continuing coverage for Avengers Endgame. You could almost call this an Endgame postgame. Um, Avengers Endgame has been just rocking the box office ever since it dropped at the end of uh, last month. And um, I'm not quite ready to say goodbye to these characters yet, so I thought I would put together kind of a two-part uh, episode. First part will be this week, next part will be uh, next week. Um, just kind of celebrating the original six Avengers to kind of give them a proper send-off. And in that way, bringing in a lot of people who maybe went and saw Endgame who aren't, you know huge comic book readers by talking about the original six that's hulk hawkeye black widow thor iron man and captain america and basically giving them some stories that they can check out to continue on their love for these characters if they want to read about if they want to read more about them and some of the greatest stories that i think they have ever been a part of so uh we've got that for you today also we've got our normal news segment we've got our weekly review uh reviewing the most recent episode of the doom patrol show as well as this week's comics countdown we've got all that in store this week got a packed episode let's kick it off with our news segment that endgame has officially crossed the 2.5 billion mark in the box office um by the time that this episode goes live it will definitely have been more but uh they're inching ever closer to uh to avatar that's sitting at 2.79 billion i want to say um so they're just 300 million away i the closer that we get to it the more i'm kind of in disbelief because don't get me wrong i love this film i love this film with a passion i love this franchise with a passion but after infinity war where we all kind of believed that that was the movie that was going to unseat avatar and it ended up not happening um i kind of got in this mindset where it's like we might not see that we might not see any film top avatar but we're inching closer and closer to this uh it's only been out for three weeks and it's already uh second place for top grossing film of all time so it's a big deal um next up also in movie news uh kind of also relating to our third story uh 
Star Wars has officially announced its next trilogy. That's right, we are talking about the next trilogy following the Rise of Skywalker. We don't know if this will be episode 10, 11, 12, or if it's going to be completely away from the episode format. But um, this new trilogy is going to be helmed by David Benioff and uh, D.B. Weiss. If you don't know who those people are, you might be more familiar with a certain television show that they're the showrunners for, and that is Game of Thrones. Now we'll touch on that show in a second, but I wanted to talk about this. This is a big deal because a lot of people, myself included, kind of figured that um, after the uh, I guess sequel trilogy that Star Wars was kind of going to focus more on these uh, Star Wars stories, like we had with Solo, like we had with Rogue One. Um, so I'm surprised that they went with another trilogy, especially seeing as how this trilogy has not been as well received as uh, the first trilogy, or even in some cases, the prequel trilogy. Uh, I think it's interesting. I'm interested to see what they do with it, whether they're going to continue to move the timeline forward whether they go back to kind of like an old republic uh we'll have to see but i'm interested um the most interesting thing i think about this though is of course the showrunners and this will kind of segue into our third news story which is that game of thrones ends this sunday final episode for the entire series and this season has been probably the most controversial season of game of thrones ever We've had controversial episodes in the past, Red Wedding, um, I don't remember the episode, the name of the episode, but the episode where Jon Snow gets killed, um, but never before have I seen so much uh, divisiveness between fans of the show, from people who are loving what they're doing to people who are absolutely hating and making petitions to get different people to remake the season. It's the craziest thing. And I am surprised that uh, Game of Thrones has kind of taken the turn that it has. I personally am one of the people who sees where they're going. Uh, I'm not one of the people who outright hates everything that they've done this season. There are certain things, certain issues that I do have, but I think overall the season has been strong. But I can definitely see where other people are coming from with that uh that real anger because certain characters really didn't get payoffs that you kind of expected them to after all of the build-up throughout the se throughout the series uh so that is coming to an end it will be the final episode i'm interested to see if they stick the landing or if they just you know fall flat on their face uh, and other tv news hbo has seemingly found its post game of thrones show and that is watchmen we have known for a while that HBO's watch is uh, working on a Watchmen series, but we didn't know exactly what they were doing with it. There are rumors that it was going to be a sequel, and it does seem like that's where they're going with this. Um, first trailer drop looks really interesting. There's a ticking clock uh, motif throughout the whole trailer. I'm really interested in it. I'm interested to see where they go. Um, it looks like Jeremy Irons is going to be playing an older Ozymandias, and if so, that is pitch-perfect casting. I think that's excellent, and I just I don't know anything about what they're doing, and I kind of love that. Uh, it's very Watchmen. It's very, um, you know, 
we I've been saying this a lot in recent episodes. It's a lot of subverting expectations and not really giving you uh, room to speculate because you don't really know what's going to be uh, said or focused on here. So I'm really interested in that. Um, in other news, other DC-related news, uh, the first trailer for Batman Hush dropped. The uh, next animated DC film that's going to be adapting the Batman Hush storyline looks interesting. Um, I still don't agree with uh, Damian Wayne replacing Tim Drake in this story. As a Tim Drake fan, I don't think that that was the right way to go. But I'm really interested. The cast is pretty strong. The animation looks good. Uh, Nightwing's back in his old school uh Bloodhaven Blue costume, so I'm there for that. We'll see how this goes. Uh, in other film news, It Chapter 2 officially dropped its first trailer. Uh, looks interesting. Looks pretty much a lot like the, uh, the first It film, which uh, I watched as an episode for this podcast. Uh, if you go back, check out our Halloween special. I sat through the entire It film. We kind of did like a, a watch-along commentary for the film. And uh, for those of you who don't know, who have jumped on with us uh, after that episode dropped, I have a deathly fear of clowns. I don't like clowns. Like, clowns and spiders are like my two biggest, like, ah, I don't like either of them. So you can understand my hesitation to watch that film, but I did it for you guys, you voted for it, and I uh, I did that episode. So I don't know if I'll be, I probably won't be seeing this in theaters just because, you know, it's clowns. But um, I will definitely be keeping up on coverage of the film for you guys. Uh, it looks interesting. I'm not sold on Jessica Chastain as uh, Beverly, but we'll have to see. In other news and gaming news, uh, Ultimate Alliance 3, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, it's going to be released on the Switch later this year, uh, officially dropped its first gameplay video. It looks good. Um, it definitely looks like a kind of simplified version of the previous Ultimate Alliance games, but I love those games and I'm definitely going to be picking this up, so I, I think it's worth giving it a shot. In other video game news, Red Dead Redemption Online finally moved out of beta. It is live. It is going to be uh, just... They dropped a huge update earlier this week, and um, it's up, it's official, they've got a bunch of new stuff going, and it's going to keep building throughout the year. I am going to be jumping in, I'm going to be trying it out, we're going to see what it's like, so if you happen to be on Red Dead Online, let me know, maybe we'll link up and, you know, rob a train or something. But that is going to do it for the news for outside stuff. I'm going to give a little bit of personal news. Uh, if you can't already tell, I'm a little stuffed up this week. Um, allergies have been just killing us in L.A. And on top of that, we got a new cat this past weekend. Uh, so we got a little two-year-old orange tabby cat. And um, it is killing my allergies. I have a pretty, uh, pretty serious cat allergy but uh my partner really wanted to get a cat she's wanted a cat since we moved out here so we went to the Maid society picked up this cat and uh she is named babs that is short for barbara and gordon um those of you who don't know barbara gordon is the name of batgirl and barbara ann is the uh first of middle names of cheetah the main villain of 
uh, of Wonder Woman. Barbara Ann Minerva is her full name. Plus, you know, Barbara Ann, the song. So uh, we call her Babs. She's Barbara Ann when she gets in trouble. But um, it's been going well so far. But, you know, cat allergies have been killing me. So I am unfortunately very stuffed up. So thank you for uh, sitting through this with me as I suffer and get used to the new cat that is residing in our home now. Uh, finally, in other news for this podcast, we are officially, and I cannot, I, can, I could not be happier telling this to you guys, we're officially a five-star rated podcast on iTunes. Um, getting on iTunes is a feat in itself. Getting ratings is even... Uh, bigger so us finally officially being a five-star rated podcast is incredible and i want to say thank you to everyone who has given us a rating and review on itunes if you would like to give us a rating and review give us a five-star review just helps us out pushes up us up the feed so that new listeners can join us like you so i want to say thank you so much uh being a five-star rated podcast is huge and again, it just, it really helps us out. So uh, feel free to drop reviews and everything. I'm just over the moon about this. We are officially, I can finally say this, we are officially a five-star rated podcast. But that is going to do it for the total news segment. We are now going to move on to the main entree, the main course of our episode, which is our endgame postgame talking about some of the greatest stories involving the original six Avengers that paved the way for the MCU. Uh, this week we'll be doing three of the original six, and next week we'll be doing the other three. So this week we're going to kick this off with The Hulk, played by Mark Ruffalo, uh, Bruce Banner, The Hulk. Huge part of this film, even though he felt like a more minor role, he is the person who got everyone kind of started on the uh, time travel process even if he didn't totally understand it he is the one who procured the time stone and got an amazing couple of scenes with uh, the ancient one and uh, he is ultimately the one who did the snap to bring everyone back and reverse the original snap that Thanos made at the end of Infinity War so I have three stories here that I definitely think you should check out. The first being Planet Hulk. If you're a fan of Ragnarok, if you enjoyed Thor Ragnarok, this is going to be right up your alley. This basically is the original basis for Thor Ragnarok's Sakaar uh, storyline, except the original story had Hulk in the place of Thor. Uh, Hulk comes to... Sakar, he is immediately drafted into being a gladiator, ends up overthrowing, the whole deal. Um, Thor Ragnarok took a lot of liberties with this story, um, but I think in the context of it, it ended up working really well. Uh, in place of the Hulk as the champion, it is actually the Silver Surfer, which is pretty awesome. And then... Uh, in place of the Collector, we have the Red King and a bunch of other stuff that really kind of changes the face. But this is one of the seminal, really iconic Hulk stories. Uh, it's written by Greg Pak with art by Carlo Pagulian and Aaron Lepresti. I know I said both of those names wrong and I apologize. But yeah, this is an incredible story. It's wonderful read. Uh, you can pick it up, I believe, hardcover and in trade. 
uh, just check out Amazon. It is amazing. You can find all of these books that we're talking about today on Amazon. Quick search, uh, just type in the, the name of the character and the title of the book and you will be able to find them. Uh, next up we have Future Imperfect. This one I picked because this is uh, dead center in the middle of the Professor Hulk storyline in the early 90s, uh, which provided the basis for Professor Hulk in Endgame, where we have Hulk's brawn with Banner's brain. Uh, this story is incredible. The story is right smack dab in the middle of the seminal Peter David Hulk run. He really pretty much put pen to paper for the most iconic Hulk run in the entire length of the character. Other writers have put their own stamp, but I think Peter David really is one of the greatest, if not the greatest Hulk writers around. Uh, it was written by Peter David with art by Gary Frank, who is now killing it on Doomsday Clock, and uh, Paul Pelletier. Again, I probably said that wrong, but the art here is solid. The story involves... Uh, Professor Hulk, Smart Hulk, going into a dystopian future and meeting the Maestro, who is a megalomaniacal future version of himself who killed all the other heroes and seated himself in a place of power above the world. Really great stuff. Great Hulk-on-Hulk Hulk interactions, great fights, and just a really good introspective look at the character while also being pretty bombastic in their fights. And finally for Hulk, we have Immortal Hulk. Uh, first, The first arc, or is he both? Uh, that's the title, not, uh, not a statement. The title of the arc is, or is he both? Uh, it's written by Al Ewing with art by Joe Bennett. This is the newest out of the three stories, and this is the uh, beginning of the current Hulk line of the Immortal Hulk. This is post his death in Civil War and his really grisly revival during uh, Secret Empire. So I really enjoy it. It's a great kind of callback to the original Hulk story, which is very more, very much more horror based. This is horror superhero storytelling at its finest they're doing a great job and this is really bringing him back to his monster roots so this is definitely a book i think you should be picking up for sure uh our next hero is hawkeye hawkeye had a lot to do in this film after having almost virtually pretty much nothing to do in infinity war uh he had a pretty big role to play he uh the whole endgame opens with him and his family get well, his family getting dusted and him having no idea what's happening. We catch up with him five years later when he has become Ronan and he's running around killing uh, different crime uh, cells all around the world. So I think it's really interesting. It's been a really good uh, kind of arc for him. He's the one who goes back and ultimately gets the Soul Stone after Natasha sacrifices herself. More on her later. Uh, but he had a huge arc in this. I love Jeremy Renner in this role. Uh, really ever since Age of Ultron, any appearance that he's had, he has stolen the scenes that he's been in. He's been very solid. And with the rumors that he's going to get his own Disney Plus show, passing on the Hawkeye mantle to Kate Bishop or possibly his daughter Lila, we don't know. I'm really excited about it, though. He also was the first leg of the... Inf 
of the Infinity Gauntlet relay race to try and get the stones back into the past. And he had some great scenes, so I really enjoyed it. His first uh, book that I'm going to recommend here is Hawkeye by Matt Fraction with art by David Aha. Just the entire run. I know I said we were going to do specific stories, but the entire run is so, so freaking good. It was the best Marvel comic that was out when the full run was going on. I recently picked up the full Omnibus again just so I could pick it up. Not again as in I have two of them again so I could reread through it because it is just incredible. The storytelling, how these are essentially stories that take place in between his Avengers missions. It's really bringing him back down to earth, making him such a cool character to catch up with. And if the Disney Plus show has anything to do with taking inspiration from this, they're going to be in good hands. The art by David Aha is incredible, really gives it kind of a uh, gritty, almost uh, pulp comic look and i really enjoy it next up we have uh, new avengers the new avengers run by brian michael bendis with art by david finch uh, this is the debut of ronin and this was really interesting because in the film we immediately know who ronin is but in the comics when they first introduced ronin we don't know uh, he shows up after hawkeye has died during the uh Avengers Disassembled run, and the big mystery behind Ronan and Cap bringing him in is who is this guy, why does Cap trust him, why did he bring him on to the new Avengers team, and of course later on it is ultimately revealed that he is Clint Barton, but then he has a whole arc talking about how he came back from the dead, uh, post House of M, how he joins up with the Avengers, him getting to, getting kind of coming to terms with the fact that there's a new Hawkeye, which is Kate Bishop, early on in her career. Uh, and kind of dealing all, with all that. So I really enjoyed it. If you liked Ronan's character, his design, he's used really well in this series. So definitely check that out. And finally, one that I think is uh, really, really good and one you should definitely pick up is Tales of Suspense featuring Hawkeye and the Winter Soldier. Written by Matt Rosenberg with art by Travel Foreman. This is a, I believe it's a five-issue miniseries uh, featuring... Hawkeye and the Winter Soldier tracking down um, all of these clues to the idea that Natasha might still be alive. Because for those of you who didn't read uh, Secret Empire or who don't know, at the end of that story, Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff died, just like she did in Endgame. Not just like, not similarly, but she also died. Uh, but this story is dealing with the idea that she might still be alive. She is... Uh, supposedly leaving clues and the two people who were closest to her in the comics that being hawkeye as a former lover and as her best friend as well as the winter soldier who is also a former lover and partner in crime uh kind of are forced to go down this very uh born ultimatum jason born kind of gritty spy story to track her down and see if she really is alive or if they're just following the clues of a new black widow who has surfaced so i think it's a great story it's a great read at just five issues really simple the dynamic between hawkeye and winter soldier made makes me want to see more stories with them so i'm really 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 uh supporting you reading this book again on amazon you can check out all of these and then finally for this week we do have black widow 
Uh, Black Widow is interesting because at least for me, when it comes to the comics, uh, when you think about Black Widow, you think about team books, event books, uh, stuff that she is featured on with others in you know a larger capacity. Uh, but I think it's really interesting her story in Avengers Endgame. She has, I would say, the least amount to do out of the original six, but. All of what she does in that film is impactful and important. Uh, you find out that post the uh, the time skip over the past five years, she's been kind of coordinating all of these surviving heroes all over the galaxy. Uh, she is regularly having them check in and kind of roundtable discussions to check in with everything that's going on. And she is really kind of the, uh, the control center because she can't give this life up. And when uh, she gets the possibility of fixing everything, of going back in time. She jumps on it immediately. She's the one that goes off to recruit Hawkeye. She has an amazing scene where she's talking to Rhodey at the very beginning where uh, he's telling her about all the stuff that Clint has done as Ronan, and she is on the verge of tears because she can't believe how far her friend has fallen. And then they have that amazing scene in the rain when she finally tracks him down, and Though a lot of people, myself included, kind of assumed they were going to go the uh, romance role, the romance uh, route for them early on, back in phase one, phase two, uh, with the with the reveal of Hawkeye's family and Age of Ultron, um, they really settled into this amazing best friend dynamic, and I absolutely love everything about their friendship. Uh, Jeremy Renner and um, Scarlett Johansson have amazing chemistry with each other just as friends and you really it, they really sell that friendship and how much they mean to each other especially when it's the two of them that go into Vormir to try and get the soul stone not knowing the price that you would have to pay for it she gets that amazing scene with him where they're fighting to go sacrifice themselves and she goes over she goes over the edge along with Hawkeye but saves him and allows herself to fall and make the sacrifice for the soul stone. A lot of people had a problem with that, and I don't understand it because she, this was her life. This was her family. Uh, if everything went according to plan, Hawkeye has a family to go back to. But for Natasha, the Avengers are her family. This is what she's been working towards for the past five years to get to this point, to be able to save everyone. And her making that sacrifice, I think, brings a fitting end to her arc as a character being someone who lied for a living who just went on to survive every single terrible thing that would happen to her her choosing to sacrifice herself to make sure others live is something that i think is well within her character if not the most logical ending for her character so i think it was an incredible incredible ending for her the fact that they didn't really get time to mourn her uh is unfortunate um we don't know if there was a full-on funeral for her like there was for tony stark um we didn't see it but i have to assume that there was because she mattered to the team just as much as he did and i really think she left her stamp on the character i'm interested to see where they go with her solo movie which is coming out has to be a prequel if it's going to star her but now that I've been thinking about it, because I just assumed it would be a prequel earlier on in her life, pre-Avengers, pre-Phase 1, but I'm starting to think that it might be within those five years, within the time skip, so we don't 
uh, necessarily have to regress her character. We get to have a full-on story with Natasha as we've come to know her, just set within those five years where she can train up a new Black Widow to kind of take on that mantle so that she can relax into that uh, control or uh, control tower role for the rest of the heroes of the universe. I think that's my prevailing theory. Um, I'm not sure I still would love to see a flashback where she meets Clint for the first time. Ideally, Clint wearing a dumb homage to his horrible original costume. His horrible and amazing original costume. Um, but I am starting to think more and more that it's going to be taking place within the, the five-year time skip between uh, Infinity War and Endgame. But after her role, we got to talk about the stories, the stories that I think you should definitely be checking out. Uh, the first one is Name of the Rose, written by Marjorie Liu with art by Daniel Acuna. Acuna's art is incredible. I love his art. Any book that I see him on is really, really drawn well. And Marjorie Liu is a novelist. She got her notoriety as a uh, just strictly pen-to-paper novelist. So she brings that kind of sensibility to this story. The story involves uh, Black Widow getting framed and her having to essentially go up against the Russian government to try and clear her name, getting help from both Iron Man and Wolverine. So it's an interesting uh, kind of trio to bring in, not the trio that you would expect to bring into this kind of story, but I really enjoyed it. It's a great kind of... Uh, I, referenced this earlier but it's a great kind of jason Bourne style story lots of espionage lots of black widow in the spotlight so i really enjoy it next up we have tightly tangled web written by nathan edmondson with art by phil noto the uh nathan edmondson run is i think to a lot of people for black widow what peter david's run was for uh the hulk this is an iconic run for her if you can't pick up the entire uh the entire run for this definitely pick up this i believe this is the second volume uh the first volume is great but this one really is the best in my opinion volume of the run lots of great stuff lots of espionage lots of the spy thriller aspect that you really want to see with black widow and she is just ah nathan edmondson is such a good voice for her and the art by phil noto is a of course incredible uh he makes all of his art really almost look like watercolor and i love that about him i love his unique kind of art style and the way that they tell stories together is really 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 good and finally i have shields most wanted written by mark wade with art by chris somni two words chris freaking somni mark wade's writing is incredible He's amazing. He's one of my favorite writers. But Chris Somney's art is what sells this. The old school pulp hero uh, noir aspect that he brings to all of his, uh, all of the books that he works on is just so freaking good. This is my favorite Black Widow run. These two volumes are incredible the uh the shields most wanted is the first volume the second volume follows up on that and i think personally is a little bit weaker storytelling wise uh this one just gets it right up there essentially as the title suggests black widow becomes uh public enemy number one for shield where she is framed once again lots of framing black widow but she has to 
essentially go up against S.H.I.E.L.D. and some of her uh, superhero buddies to clear her name and to find out who is framing her and why. So it's incredible thriller, spy, storytelling. I really enjoy it. Once again, this is my probably my favorite Black Widow run of all time. Um, I just love it. I love it. The voice that they have for her, Mark Wade, really finds a great balance between her superhero-isms and her spy-isms. And then him working with Somni is one of the things that made me so excited about the Captain America run, the very short-lived Captain America run that they did. And I could not be happier with this story. And I think if you have to pick up any of the books out of these three, you should pick up all three. But if you have to pick up just one, this is the one to go to. And that is going to do it for the main meat of this uh, episode. This might be a bit of a shorter episode just because I'm stuffed up, not feeling too hot. This has been a very uh, trying week for me, but I am going to uh, make sure, have to get this episode out. It's It might definitely be put out a little later uh, than usual just because with my schedule dealing with the new cat we are also hosting another animal for uh for someone else in our home and i've got auditions and all this all this stuff that's going on is uh, pretty crazy but um i definitely wanted to get this out the end game hype has died down a little bit but it's still real it's still very real and as it inches closer to the uh box office record i think it's just gonna keep getting better so uh Stay tuned next week for uh, part two of our Endgame postgame featuring stories on the big three, Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America. And uh, yeah, let me know what you thought of these books. Uh, feel free to let me know if you've read these books, if you haven't read these books, what books interest you. If you have read these books, what you like, what you dislike. Feel free to do all of that on our social media, either uh instagram or twitter or both we're at geeksplain pod on both of those or through email because i'm an old man i still read emails to geeksplain at gmail.com uh once again thanks for the ratings the five star ratings and feel free to give us uh ratings reviews make sure to subscribe to us helps us out and uh that's gonna do it for part one of our endgame postgame And that beautiful musical intro can only mean one thing. It's time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where we review something weekly. And of course, what we are reviewing is the most recent episode of the Doom Patrol show. This is the live action Doom Patrol show that is currently uh, running on the DC Universe streaming service and app. And um, if you haven't been watching, you need to get to watching. We've only got two episodes left. That's right. I was wrong. Last uh, last week, I uh, I said on the podcast that we were gearing up for the final episode. What I thought was the final episode of the season, and I didn't think that they were going to be able to tie everything up correctly without a couple more episodes to uh, 
kind of get a set for it. And thankfully, I was completely wrong because as it turns out, we do have two more episodes left. Uh, I, through my short research, thought that the season was only going to be 13 episodes long, but in fact, it is 15 episodes long. Um, I'm not sure if that was the original... um, uh, season length or if they had changed something uh, after the first couple press releases but I was bamboozled and I uh, I to be honest couldn't be happier because that means we get two more episodes in this world with these characters in this storyline and I am so excited I'm really really excited especially after how good this episode was uh, this is of course the review for episode number 13 entitled flex patrol and you know what that means ladies and gentlemen it is officially time we are debuting flex mentalo the strangest most amazing hero of the beach uh this is just the perfect way to introduce him (laughs) into this show with these characters into this world i just couldn't be happier about this um I really loved this episode. Once again, it's continuing. Every single episode is getting better and better. And as we're heading into the final stretch here, um, I think it's really going to stick the landing. If the last two episodes are as good a quality as this episode has, or as this episode was, or has this season has been, they are going to be some damn good episodes. And they are going to be, I think, a lot better received than a certain Thrones show. Um, no shade, just saying. Um, this show has been wacky, it's been incredible, but no character, I think, in the, just, you know, in the 13 season run, or the 13 episode run of this season, came in with quite the amount of fanfare, quite the amount of, uh, just weird, unique narrative that Flex did. Flex Mentallo was a character from, or originally lived in Kansas in 1964. Um, at least this that's the way that this show has decided to make his backstory. Um, this is kind of their sweet spot uh, for him and really all the characters. They all kind of center around you know, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, I believe Cliff is from the 80s if I remember that correctly. If not, someone will correct me. But, um, yeah, he's, you know, the hero of his small town. He is just the coolest guy with the weirdest powers. If you aren't familiar with Flex Mentallo, he is just the greatest. Uh, Flex Mentallo has the power of muscle mystery, wherein he, when he flexes, he can literally bend reality to his will. I don't know how it happens. They never explain how it happens. They just call it muscle mystery and leave it at that, and that's why I love it. There is no explanation given, no explanation needed in my mind, but I'm just so excited to have Flex on this show. Uh, It does show a little bit of his backstory. That's how the episode kind of starts off with Flex and his wife, Dolores. Um, Really sweet, really kind of old school, you know, uh... 50s and 60s kind of Americana where they're having a picnic in the park and uh, Flex is captured by the Bureau of Normalcy and I think it's just crazy 
that they would be able to capture him. But I understand that, especially the way that they do capture him with, like, the kitten containment device. That's not, I don't think, what it's called, but I'm going to call it the KCD, the kitten containment device. Um, I just, I really, I really loved this. They really showed all of Flex, um, no pun intended, flexing his narrative muscles here. Uh, they showed how he was woven in throughout the show, um, really throughout the history of all these characters. But before we get to that, we got to address the big cliffhanger from last episode, and that is that Cyborg potentially killing his father Silas. And it's revealed in this episode that he is, in fact, alive. So um, Silas survived somehow the beating that Cyborg gave him, and they are able to escape the ant farm using uh, Flit, who's able to teleport them all out, and then Flit teleports, I believe, uh, Rita, Vic, and Silas to a hospital where Silas can get medical attention. Um, this kind of gives us a little bit of room to breathe. Uh, Cliff is trying to figure out what the hell is going on along with Jane? Um, they Before they left, they picked up prisoner number 722, who does end up being revealed to be Flex. Years and decades passed when he was captured by the Bureau of Normalcy originally. He's got a big bushy beard, his hair's grown out. He basically looks like a really like run-down Hagrid, as more run-down as you can get from Hagrid. No offense to Hagrid, but he's... Uh, Anytime I've seen him characterized or, you know, um, adapted, he is always looking very uh, run down. To, you know, he's to an in an endearing way. He's really endearing in that way. But, um, yeah, just Flex Mentallo, as we see, has been completely robbed of his individuality. He doesn't even remember his name. He doesn't recognize the pictures or the ads that he used to be in. He just knows himself as prisoner number 722, who has an obsession with TV, which we will, of course, get to. What we do find out is that he was brought in just around the same time as Larry was to the ant farm by the Bureau. Uh, that's why the dates, 1964, you know, is important because that was around the time that Larry was first brought into the ant farm. And we see a lot of their early interactions, um, <laughs> really flex trying to uh, basically using his muscle mystery and flexing to like open up a little crack in the wall so he can talk to Larry and to the negative spirit. And we see that Flex kind of develops a kinship with the negative spirit and can somehow hear him, can somehow like have conversations with him and everything uh, without having to use Larry as an intermediary, which I think is really interesting. I don't know how they're going to play that up, but I feel like that's going to be important later on. Um, Following that, they, uh, they're trying to... Basically, the negative spirit and Flex are trying to figure out a way to escape, but Larry doesn't want to go anywhere. He's very reluctant. Um, this is, He's still fresh to all of this. He thinks that if he steps outside of the ant farm, he'll kill people because of the radiation, and Flex is trying to kind of, you know, um, hype him up to get them ready to escape, but, of course, Larry is hearing none of it. So it's really sad. We get to see... Um, time pass and you know flex keeps trying to get larry to let's go and reach through here take some of these containment patches off me and i can get us out of here and larry's like no no i'm a danger to people so this happens you know two or three times uh 
back with Jane and Cliff. They're trying to <laughs> figure out how to get Flex to remember himself. Um, they try to get him to use his powers to no avail. And uh, he just keeps wanting to watch TV. He keeps wanting to watch TV. And um, we don't know what we don't know why at this point, but um, they basically decide to humor him they sit him in front of the tv with his favorite soap opera and uh, kind of leave him alone to figure out what to do next meanwhile back at the hospital rita kind of encounters this older man who's trying to find his room in the hospital he's this old you know senile sounding old man and rita this is a great scene rita has an amazing monologue where she talks about exactly what happened where she was basically becoming a star maker trading favors for people and um her hubris and her inability to look out for anybody but herself caused a young actress who she was kind of mentoring to kill herself and it is dark and it is tragic and um april balby who plays rita just does an incredible job delivering this monologue um, she has really come into her own with this character, both the actress and the character herself. Rita has uh, gone from kind of being the stick in the mud to being someone who is evolving out of an abusive and tragic backstory to become the surrogate mother figure for the team. And I really love the journey that she's been on for this entire season. So we find out, of course, that... Um, later on that this old man that she's been speaking to this whole time who i thought might have been somebody from her hollywood past that she didn't recognize actually turns out to be um mr nobody who was manipulating her again to kind of get her ready to rumble because it feels like at this point mr nobody just wants to fight these guys he's ready he's ready to go he's chomping at the bit but we'll get into that in a second um we do of course find out why flex has such an obsession with this tv because on his final escape attempt trying to just convince larry to help him escape um the bureau members come in and they wheel in this tv and he it shows that his wife dolores is essentially being tortured and that unless he complies she will be tortured she will be killed and so um flex is forced to just watch this tv because it's the only way that he'll be able to find out uh how she is to make sure she's okay and it's so sad because you realize you know this is decade decades on because this is taking place in of course uh 2019 so this has been going on for well over 40 years and you find out in the most tragic way why he's had this obsession because all he could do for decades, I'm sure, was watch this TV to make sure that she was okay. And it eventually devolved as his individuality was stripped from him and his memory was stripped from him that this was the only thing that he had an emotional attachment to was this TV because it contained the knowledge of the whereabouts and the ultimate fate of his wife. So it's super, super tragic and I really appreciate the writers really putting in the time to make this make sense because we see certain characters play up certain things for comedy certain weird quirks and um i just really appreciated that this 
took the time to explain why. And I love how it made something so simple as having a TV obsession, which many people do nowadays, and turn it into something really, really dark and tragic. So I appreciated that. Um, we also kind of get a definitive, I guess, ending for Vic and for Cyborg for this season, for this show. I don't know if uh, he's coming back for next season. We don't even know if there is going to be a next season at this point. Um, I'm sure there will be, but like, we ultimately don't have a conclusive answer um, because uh, Rita, after getting kind of that pep talk from the guy, uh, goes to Vic and tells him that he needs to turn Grid back online so that they can locate the chief. Because Grid is the only entity, the only being that's going to be able to track him. And Cyborg's really reluctant, and he basically says, if I turn Grid on, I can't go with you because I, A, might kill everybody, like in Jane's painting, and B, I have to stay with my dad. I have to protect him because Mr. Nobody now sees him as a threat. So they have to make a choice. Either Cyborg sticks with the team, or they go find the chief. So it's really interesting. I don't think it's the way that I would have gone. I would have liked to see uh, interactions between Cyborg and Flex, but it looks like they're kind of trading one for the other um which i understand and you know flex is a bit of a weirder character and he fits in a little bit more with them uh as opposed to cyborg who is always right now at this point his stock is very high as a member of the justice league so i think um this is a smart decision and uh practical and uh visual effects wise it's going to be a lot easier because all you need to do for Flex Mentello is have him flex, and those are his powers. We don't have to, you know, digitally enhance Cyborg's prosthetics and his props and his arm cannon. So from a business and a budgetary uh, perspective, it makes sense. But I really, I would have liked to see Cyborg with this now fully formed and fully matured Doom Patrol team uh, that we're going to be going into these final two episodes with. So that was kind of sad, but I understood. Um, after this, of course, um, we, have, we find out that ever since, you know, last episode, uh, the Negative Spirit has been separated from Larry. And the Negative Spirit and Larry have always been kind of opposites. They've been kind of you know, fighting each other internally for a long time, for the entire season. And um, we find out that without the negative spirit, Larry is going to die. Larry is coughing up blood. He is just, he's dying. His body can't take being away from the spirit for so long. And um, this he's made, you know, the decision. Larry has decided to die to let the negative spirit be free and be a hero because we've seen on numerous occasions the negative spirit kind of take things into its own hands so that it can be a hero and make um, negative man or make Larry a hero too. But Larry is very just not wanting to be a hero. So Larry tells the negative spirit, like, it's okay I'll die, you can be a hero, you know, it's a win-win, um, which is sad, it is really sad, and so the negative spirit flies off, but you see it exit the house, take a second, and then go back in and rejoin with Larry, the two have finally become one, the two are finally on the same page, Larry 
realizes the sacrifice that the negative spirit is making freedom for Larry's life. And um, yeah, Larry Trainer and the negative spirit have finally, I think, reached that point where they can be called negative man. Um, so again, sacrifice leading into the basically leading into um, the completion of an arc for a character. Uh, also, on the front of trying to get Flex back, they realize that the old lady who initially captured Cyborg is Dolores, and that she was tortured and brainwashed and forced to uh, become, a mem become an agent for the Bureau um, during Flex's imprisonment. So, they find her, they bring her to... Uh, prisoner 722 and it's like he's seeing her for the first time she's grown old he hasn't and it's just oh it's heartwarming it's heartwarming seeing them find flex finally remembers who he is they've shaved him down they've like given him his former look with the uh <laughs> the leopard print speedo and the and the wrestling boots and he's you know jacked to all hell they gave him a haircut trimmed his beard um so they're embracing each other for the first time and then you find out that the bureau installed a device into dolores where if she ever found flex again she would disintegrate and she does in flex's arms and it is freaking tragic it is just oh my god it's so heartbreaking this is the first time he's been able to hold his wife in his arms in over what, 50 years and she just disappears in front of his eyes she gets dusted thanos snaps her and um god it's oh it's tragic but then we see flex awaken his muscle mystery his the, he just flexes and he's just in anguish everything is just exploding around him and the hero of the beach has finally entered the game he is back on the board and he it looks like he is going to be leading the charge against mr nobody this is the first character with his kind of reality bending powers that i think stands a chance at defeating mr nobody so the team is full force they're ready to go they're ready to fight mr nobody they are going to look for the chief now that uh cyborg and grid have tracked his location and they are ready for the final battle and so is mr nobody we get a little aside a little kind of uh epilogue for the episode a little ending note where mr nobody is of course bringing the fourth wall being very meta um basically saying like I'm ready for the last two episodes. I'm ready to throw down. I'm ready to lay the smack down on the Doom Patrol. I'm going to destroy him again. And it's just the perfect way to end this episode with Mr. Nobody saying, okay, now you know where to find me. Come and get me. And I am so down. I'm so ready. We are here. We have made that, that logical uh, plot and narrative progression to this point. Now these last two episodes are really going to be about the final encounter with Mr. Nobody. I have no idea how it's going to go. I have no idea what's going to happen, what's going to happen to these characters. I am just really, really excited that all of these characters have now made their arcs. Uh, Cliff is now Robot Man. Larry is now Negative Man. Rita Farr has accepted her tragic past and decided to move forward and she will become a last woman. 
Jane has finally uh, come to terms with her past and her abuse by her father and has really embraced this leadership role that she's kind of basically taken for herself as Crazy Jane. And now we have the hero of the beach, Flex Mentallo, and they are going to just go after Mr. Nobody. I'm so excited. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. Again, this series just so so good and i cannot wait for this week's episode i cannot wait for friday so um yeah that's gonna be it for the weekly review for this week um let me know what you thought of this episode if you liked it if you disliked it what you think of flex mentallo i really want to know because he's a very unique character um if you do have the dc universe streaming service i would definitely recommend going into their comics section they have the entire flex mentalu flex mentalu flex mentalo four issue miniseries read through that that'll give you a great little um crash course on flex mentalo's character it's also a grant morrison frank quietly jam so it is super super good um uh, lots of meta um recontextualizations and looking at how comics really affect um basically kind of the modern lexicon so i would definitely check that out um but yeah i'm super excited for the last two episodes they're gonna be good but um for now let's kick it on over to this week's comics countdown Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I basically tell you what comics I think you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones that I definitely think you should take a look at. I'll be telling you about their title, the creative team behind them, as well as a brief synopsis of each book. And of course, with each synopsis, you'll be getting a synopsis voice. Um... If you would like to request a synopsis voice, feel free to do that on Twitter, Instagram, or through email. Uh, we've got five books this week. We hit it right on the money for what we're normally supposed to have. So uh, we'll kick this off right away with Nightwing number 60, written by Dan Jurgens with art by Chris Mooneyham. Uh, this is, you know, this is, I think, a make or break for a lot of people. Uh, myself included, because the Rick Grayson uh, arc, as divisive as it has been, I think personally has been a really interesting story, but I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm losing interest. So this is going to be the book that either makes or breaks my experience with Nightwing. I've been really enjoying it so far, but the whole premise has been moving kind of slow for me. I like that he's established a whole new team of Nightwings, um, that each of them kind of has a distinct voice, but as a kind of Nightwing purist, I've been really just kind of biding my time until Nightwing shows up again, until Rick Grayson goes away and Dick Grayson comes back. So um, this new story is... Uh, is interesting, but it's not really what I normally uh, look for in a Nightwing book. So if this issue ends up really grabbing me uh, and sending me forward, then I'll probably hold on to it. But if it doesn't, this might be where I end 
my uh, my reading relationship with Nightwing, so to speak. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Detective Alphonse Sapienza may be a natural-born leader, forged through his many years with the GCPD. But does that give him what it takes to lead the Nightwings when their lives are endangered as never before? As fires that seem to have a mind of their own rage through Bloodhaven targeting cops, the team is up against its greatest test yet. Joined by Rick Grayson, how will the Nightwings save the city's finest from a red-hot vendetta and the city's newest villain, Burnback? So yeah, again, this is kind of more... Uh, street level very much trying to establish bloodhaven's own i think uh rogues gallery which is fine and that's um that's something that i think is needed for a blood for a nightwing book but i would much rather be you know trade in this team of nightwings for just my nightwing but anyway i'll be picking it up and i definitely think you guys should too as well uh, next up, we have Old Man Quill number 5 of 12, written by Ethan Sachs with art by Robert Gill. Uh, this book has been great. This book has been really, really good so far. Uh, Guardians, the Guardians of the Galaxy are an interesting team because they spend most of their time up in space. I know that sounds obvious, but um, bringing them down to Earth, especially in the wasteland of uh, the Old Man universe, I guess... Uh, is really interesting and having them have to solve problems without the use of space-age technology I think is I think is a really interesting way to tell these stories and having uh, Peter Quill who is not so carefree and music-loving and is more weighed down by the losses and the failures of his life really makes this something special when you kind of stack it up against other Guardians of the Galaxy stories so we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here Gladiator closes in. Peter Quill and the Guardians' good deeds across the wastelands are starting to gain them a following, which isn't as good as it sounds as Gladiator and his advanced team from the Universal Church of Truth close in, but it'll all be for nothing if Quill can't escape from the Madrox gang. So yeah, I think it's really interesting how um, they're taking these characters that we know and kind of twisting them and making them something different. Uh, the, the Guardian, or not the Guardian, the Gladiator, pardon me, um, I think has always been an interesting character. Uh, I actually liked him the most during his uh, during the Wolverine and the X-Men run by uh, Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalo, but... I think it's really interesting having the Gladiator kind of be this emissary for the Universal Church of Truth. We don't know a whole lot about them, but we just know that they are bad news. And then really seeing kind of these twisted versions of characters that we know and love, like Jamie Madrox, um, I think is kind of the basis around the appeal for the Old Man universe in general. So I think uh, it's really interesting kind of mashing all that together with these characters, these older versions of the characters that we know and love. So I'll definitely be checking this out. 
Next up, we have Batman number 71, written by Tom King, with art by Yannick Paquette. And I'm really interested to see exactly what they do with Paquette's uh, kind of sensibilities here. I'm a big fan of his uh, art. I'm a big fan of Tom King's writing. Uh, we're really starting to kick back into second gear, into third gear, into fourth gear, into fifth gear, when we're talking about uh, Tom King's overarching Batman narrative. So I'm really interested to see where they go from here. Let's jump into the synopsis. The fall and the fallen continues. Will it be father and son working together or tearing each other apart? When it comes to the Waynes, expect a little of both. In the quest to get Bruce Wayne to hang up the cape and cowl, Thomas Wayne is going to have to use a little tough love, only not all the muscle behind it will be his own. So yeah, the big revelation around uh, Batman number 70 was that Thomas Wayne is working with Bane, uh, he has been working with Bane, and his whole goal is kind of to follow up on the end of the button crossover between uh, Batman and The Flash, where he told Bruce not to be Batman. So I'm really interested to see how he can justify teaming up with uh, one of Batman's greatest enemies to get to this end goal, but we'll see, we'll see exactly where that goes. And next up, we have Spider-Man Life Story, number three of six, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Mark Bagley. This book has been so good. Um, I don't want to spoil it because I really think that you should be reading this book. If you are going to read any Marvel book right now, especially any Spider-Man book, this is the book you should be checking out. Chip Zdarsky is one of the best modern Spidey writers, and Mark Bagley's portfolio when it comes to Spider-Man speaks for itself. So these are two of the greatest creators in the history of Spider-Man storytelling, really putting on, I think, a clinic when it comes to telling stories starring Peter Parker. Uh, every issue has been a different decade. This, of course, is going to be the 80s. Um, the last issue was really dark like really dark uh i thought the first issue was pretty dark because it dealt with vietnam because it did take place in the 60s but the last issue was really dark and i'm really interested to see uh exactly what happens in the 80s for peter parker especially with the cover uh showing you know nuclear warheads showing a uh symbiote spider-man in the uh in a coffin so i'm really interested the the uh the cover is really intriguing let's jump into the synopsis here the real-time life story of spider-man continues it's the 1980s and peter's life gets upended with wars both global and secret and death stalks him at every turn. With a family and a world to protect, can he save everyone before it's too late? So, I'm really intrigued by that synopsis, because we're talking about secret wars. Um, we have the Cold War going on in real-world time, which I'm sure they're going to touch on, because that's what the whole uh, series has been based on. Um, but combining the idea of the Cold War, along with this uh, universe-shattering event called the Secret Wars, um, especially the original one, which was so, I think, groundbreaking for its time, I think is really interesting, and to see this more uh, 
I guess, uh, world-weary Spider-Man. Because in the original Secret Wars, you know, they revolve... It was involving, you know, a rolling timeline. So Peter Parker at this stage, when it comes to uh, Secret Wars, the original Secret Wars, uh, he was still, you know, early 20s. He's doing his thing. But in this, we're talking like he was, what, 15 in the 60s? So we're looking at... 20 so he's 35 minimum at this point in the 80s so he's a full-grown adult he has lived a life um he's lived a rough life at this point so i'm really interested to see where they go this is one of my top picks for sure and then finally the big book of the week is war of the realms number four of six War of the realms has been just killing it so far written by jason aaron with art by russell dotterman uh this is the big marvel event book of the summer if not the year so i definitely think you should be picking this up this has been firing on all cylinders from the very first issue uh the tie-ins are you know hit or miss but uh, i think the main book has been really strong so far so let's jump into the synopsis here pray to all mother freya for in her hands lies the key to ending malekith's war the black bifrost the only method of travel for malekith's vast armies must fall even with the punisher ghost rider Blade and Hulk, Jen Walters, at Freya's side, how many Dark Elves can one goddess kill? While Freya's team heads for the Swamp of Svartalheim, Captain America's rescue mission in Jotunheim faces the wrath of giants. Captain Marvel leads a global assault team against Malekith's allies, and the Black Panther defends Avengers Mountain against a siege of mythic proportions. None of them know what Malekith has a secret weapon, and its bite will prove most venomous. So yeah, that's a super leading synopsis. Um, the cover even shows uh, Malekith with almost like a dog collar around Venom. So I don't know how uh, this is going to work out. We are, we do have... Um, Oh, God, I think it's called Absolute Carnage is coming this fall. Uh, that's going to be the next big event where, you know, quote-unquote, everyone is a target. And it's going to focus a lot around Venom. Uh, the Venom book by Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman has been stellar so far. And I'm really interested to see how that folds into this. This is a, you know, entire line uh spanning crossover so everybody's involved i just don't know how venom is going to be involved here and exactly what he's going to do to either turn the tide either way so uh that is it for this week's comics countdown to recap we have nightwing number 60 old man number oh sorry old man quill number five of 12 batman number 71 spider-man life story number three of six and war of the realms number four of six uh if there are any books that i missed any books that you think i should definitely be checking out feel free to let me know i love discovering new books as much as i love talking to you guys about those books uh we also got a couple great hardcovers that released today the mr miracle hardcover by uh tom king and mitch jareds as well as the batman white knight hardcover by sean gordon murphy are definitely books that you have you have to pick up uh if you didn't pick up the original run or you didn't pick up the uh trades of them definitely pick up these hardcovers they are can't miss uh 
really can't miss pieces of comics, I think, history. Uh, especially now that Tom King and Mitch Jarrett are working on their next project, and Sean Gordon Murphy is working on a sequel to Batman White Knight called Curse of the White Knight. So definitely pick the either of these uh, hardcovers up. Pick up both of them if you haven't read the stories yet, and definitely pick up these five books in their single issues. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, you know, it's we are now living in a post-Avengers Endgame world where it feels like uh, pretty much the world is our oyster when it comes to uh, geek stuff, nerd stuff, comic book stuff. We're living in a brand new age, a brand new era when it comes to Marvel Comics, DC Comics, everything that's going on. So I'm glad that you were on this ride with me. Uh, I'm glad that we are able to share in all of this geeky stuff together, and I'm really excited to continue on. So thank you, and again, thank you so much for making Geeksplained a five-star rated podcast on Apple and uh, on iTunes. That's a huge deal for me. It really helps us out. Being a five-star podcast pushes up, pushes us up into kind of the the atmosphere of new people looking for podcasts and it helps us and our visibility to bring in new listeners so for those of you who have dropped us reviews thank you so much for those of you who haven't yet feel free i'm still trying to figure out the uh the whole system when it comes to uh reviews and ratings um if you do end up dropping a five-star review or a five-star rating, feel free to drop a full-on review, and I will read that review on next week's episode. Um, again, so, so thankful for you guys who have given us a rating. It really helps us out, and um, let's just keep going. Let's keep moving. Let's keep building this to be the best podcast that it can be, but uh that's it for this week. Tune in next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.